Hi, and welcome to House Call, our podcast designed to help you navigate the New York City real estate market. I'm Andrew Fishkind, as always, here with my co-hosts and partners, Carl Eckroth and Emily Margolin. Hello. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. We're here today with Richard Ferrari, the president and CEO of Douglas Elm in New York City and Northeast Region. I think I got that. Is that close to right, Rich? That's correct. Excellent. We're so excited. So perfect. As you know, we're here to talk about real estate, which is why we're all sitting here. How far north do we go? Connecticut south to New York City? We pretty much go from the New Jersey shore. Fairhaven, New Jersey is our farthest south office up to um, probably Nantucket or Wellesley, Massachusetts. Why don't we jump in with your background and then just so people know who you are and then we'll talk about the markets. Sure. I'm president and CEO of Brokerage for Douglas Elliman, the Northeast region. Basically, I've been a real estate broker for close to 35 years now. I've sold all over Manhattan in almost every building in the city. Very little in Brooklyn because I didn't bring value to a buyer in Brooklyn because I don't know Brooklyn. I know it now. I oversee Brooklyn, so I'm there almost every week. And, you know, Brooklyn's an amazing market, but I didn't know it as an agent. I grew up in Brooklyn, and the Brooklyn I grew up in is nothing like the Brooklyn is today. So <laughs> I, too, bring no value to oh, limited value to Brooklyn. I do some, but that's uh, it's not. I sold three today. apartments yeah. in Brooklyn all in the same building. Yeah. So as a real estate broker for so long... Now in the role of president and CEO of Brokerage, I'm a broker's CEO, basically. I still think and act and work like an agent. There are very few scenarios that any agent today under me, which there's about 2,600 of them, that I haven't experienced myself. And Rich, that includes commercial and residential, right? I can tell you right now there are 163 agents at Douglas Elliman that are co-star users, which means they do a little bit of commercial business. That's out of 6,800 national agents. I'm going to say that half of them are probably New York agents. So there's probably about 80 New York City and Manhattan and Brooklyn agents that are using co-star for commercial. My opinion, they shouldn't. Other than a few of them, it's not much different from a heart surgeon and a podiatrist. Well, wait, just so for those listening, what is CoStar? CoStar is the national commercial real estate listing system. So it's like the Street Easy for commercial nationally. Because nationally. If, if we get rid of Street Easy as well, that's another. And Street Easy is the Amazon of real estate in New York, <laughs> in New York City. In New York City, nowhere else in the country, right, but in New right. York City. Right, Street Easy is the Zillow of the us. rest of, yeah. the, of the country. But even yeah. Zillow is not as strong oh, around right. the entire country as Street Easy is for Manhattan. I'm so used to Street Easy. I was on Zillow today doing some you know, legwork for, uh, for a client of mine, and I, I just couldn't figure it out. It seems so choppy. The Street Easy website is so much sharper. It's it is. incredible. But also flawed. Yes. For brokers and <laughs> the clientele, I think. And so we're going through, I won't call it unprecedented times, but the market has changed a lot over the past 24 months. And your perspective coming from Massachusetts all the way down to southern Jersey, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts of both what's going on in the Northeast and as compared to New York City, if, if it's not well, the same. Well, it's interesting because as a youngster in the 1970s, the suburban markets were very busy and the urban American markets were not. COVID almost did the flip again, where we're very similar to the 1970s market, where suburban homes, there's nothing on the market right now. All of our suburban offices 
have very little listings, whether it's Greenwich, New Canaan, Wellesley, Fairhaven, New Jersey, wherever we are in the country, the suburban markets have a shortage of inventory, which is one reason why all the national real estate firms that are publicly traded, the stocks are down. Not that it's a bad market, but commission revenue is down because there's very little to sell. Urban markets, it's different. You can read about San Francisco where Douglas Elliman is not, but you read about New York. You guys know, you're New York City agents. We are, probably it is an unprecedented time in New York City. It's not a transition market. I believe we're in a market that it's what it is right now, where there's two markets in Manhattan right now, the renovated and the unrenovated. Not as much for Brooklyn. The renovated market in Manhattan is similar to the suburban market. There's three or four buyers for every renovated apartment that's on the market. And there are zero buyers for an unrenovated apartment at the price it's listed at. When that price comes down, that takes into consideration a six-month to three-year renovation, depending on the size of the apartment and the cost it all changes. Today, I reviewed a 12-room apartment on Park. Now, looking at the staged photos, it's gorgeous. Looking at, the real, <laughs> looking at the real apartment in real life, you see that 12-room Park Avenue apartment is probably three years from purchase to move in. Forget the cost, because most likely that buyer can afford it, but do they want the stress? the aggravation and the time. We've seen that as a team, we've talked, you know, in talking to our colleagues, whether it's cosmetic upgrades or gut renovations, it's really struggling in this market. And with the rental market as high as it is, people are transitioning. So you yeah. know what? Let's rent for a year or two, three years maybe. Uh, we're gonna have a lot of inventory in, in two, three years. Correct. But there's always an allure to be in New York City. Right. What I'm finding is extremely a little odd, but I'm happy about it. Our super high-end is very busy, super high-end condominium market. Although a renovated Central Park West or Fifth Avenue or Park Avenue or West End or Riverside Drive, renovated will sell instantly. I've always said it's a harbinger of things to come when the luxury market is operating where it is. We recently sold the penthouse at 150 Central Park South at the Hampshire House. I was lucky enough to be able to preview it. And physically, the apartment was over the top. There's nothing like it, yet price-wise, it was a third of the cost of what new construction on Billionaire's Row would run you. It was in good condition. I instantly knew what great value this is for someone who's looking in the 70 and 80 million mark but doesn't really want to spend it, and then you see this, and it's in the 30s, which is, I think, it was listed for. It was incredible value on that and, front. you know, we have a lot of people listening who are either thinking about purchasing or they're thinking about selling. And I guess I just want to talk to you a little bit more about the unrenovated versus renovated units and circle back because I'm passionate about it. There's such a opportunity for buyers, I think, to renovate and then sell their apartments renovated. Because of the price differential between the unrenovated and the renovated units in the market right now, do you agree with that? I do. Or do you disagree? No, I, I, disagree I, I, <laughs> I can tell you on the 12 room apartment that I visited today, first thought to me was do, would I advise the seller 
to put three or four hundred thousand dollars into it now. The renovation would probably be in the millions for someone buying it, but if you were to clean it up, all of a sudden someone may say, I don't have to renovate. That is what we're trying to tell our sellers. Yeah, yes. that's the key. And the buyers as well, um, yeah. whether it's a strong or weak market. I've always found in the New York City where the margins are so, so thin. For our buyers, I've always said, look, if, if you've got the time, the opportunity in New York City, specifically Manhattan, is on those unrenovated apartments. It's not about flipping, right? It's about buying, renovating. You've got your home for the next couple of years, several years. And then now when you, when you go to sell, you've got an apartment that's not 30 years old, it's five, ten years Correct. Old. And that's where the value is. The value right now purchasing is not in a renovated apartment. I'm so thrilled, everybody, because Rich is such an idol for all of us because he's been doing this for so long. So it's really fun for me to have the confirmation of it's just so difficult to renovate in a co-op. I don't think it's any harder to rent a co-op than it is ren renovate a co-op than it is a condo. I think that's a misnomer. Well, except for the vintage. Right. It's yes, easier yes, yes. to renovate a 70s, 80s, or 90s, yes, or yes. O's apartment than plaster walls from the 1920s. Agreed. But all Agreed. things being equal, same type of building. Yeah, same time of no, building no is the same. Yeah. The, the, the just, building doesn't know, the walls don't right, know if exactly. they're a condominium or a co-op. I want to circle back to something you said because it's something that I've just recently been talking with clients about, and I'm just curious if you think that the high-end market does really relate to the overall market of New York City. The high-end market in New York City is a very unique market. It typically is a market that that purchaser has two, three, four, five other homes around the country or the world. So I'm not saying the high-end market is not a primary home because it is for some New Yorkers, but the bulk, it's one of many, and it's a very unique product. We're fortunate as brokers. We have the ability to go into an apartment at 432 Park and just go, wow, look at this when you stand and see the views. It's a little different when is the estate in Greenwich on 15 acres compared to the estate in, I'm just going to throw out, in Larchmont on three acres. You're from Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills to Greenwich, Beverly Hills to Larchmont, they're similar. But Beverly Hills to Manhattan is a completely different lifestyle. In the 70s, the difference was the wealth was not in Manhattan. They were in the suburbs. Now with the wealth here, it may have left for somebody being here nine months of the year, and now they're only here three months, but they're still here after COVID. So with the wealth buying and not afraid of the prices, what does that say for the lower end of the market? If Somebody is comfortable spending $25 million for an apartment on an investment end. What is the risk for a $750,000 one-bedroom? Right. They're not spending $25 million believing it's not going higher. Correct. And have those one-bedrooms gone down? Probably not. The difference is right now what somebody's needs are. The big change is when the average New York City white-collar worker is only in the city now three or four days, or two to three or four days. Do they have to have a large apartment? Do they even need an apartment? The wealth is here for different reasons. We're gonna have to see, is the three-day work week in Manhattan here forever? I don't think it is. Let's see how quickly that recession comes. I just think productivity, you get more when you're in an office. Company culture, you get more, but let's face it, all the thousands of employees that commute into Manhattan on a daily basis, some of them an hour and a half away, 
you know, coming in only three days is a big plus for them. Let's re- reimagine that. Let's assume three, four days in the office is normal and one to two at home is. We all know the dry cleaners, the bars, the coffee shops that are affected by these employees not coming in on a daily basis or five days a week. Yeah. One of the questions I would have is, what have we seen in the last 12, 18 months with the foreign purchasers? Are they buying more things now that air travel has opened up and the borders have opened air up? Air travel has opened up, but remember, we have a very strong dollar compared to foreign currencies. We are having international purchasers, not necessarily from the UK, Italy, and France, but from other parts of the country. Because especially when there's turmoil around the world, which there is right now, the U.S. becomes the safe haven. Safe haven, right. And I've been hearing that a lot of Chinese money has quietly come back. I'm not going to disagree, but I don't have the data to agree. Again, from what I've been hearing, you're probably right. But I don't have the data. Understood. On it. As I said, I, yeah. I, it's not a market I've been Remember, in, so it's I, a lot of money that was already in the United States prior to yes. China putting restrictions yes. on. I was thinking about what to ask you, and I wanted to talk to you about fear. Having been in the real estate market for 30 years, I've been in for 10. There's a lot of discussions around the recession or higher interest rates. From your point of view, just in terms of your entire career, what do you think about, for example, the articles that are coming out about the state of the New York City market? What would you say to people who are thinking about buying who are afraid to right now? Or people who are thinking about Good, selling, great. but they're worried they're not going to get their price point? Like, what do great, you... Great question. And I'm going to do this quick. When I started in 1989, I was on the coattails of the 1987 recession, stock market crash. Agents said to me, why are you joining this business right now? The market is horrible. I've been in it for 15 years, and I can't sell an apartment. Why do you think you can? It's the only market I knew. Within three or four years, I was in the top five in the firm I was with because I only knew how to sell in that market. I was showing buyers, look at these bargains. It used to be $400,000. Now it's two seventy. dollars Okay, and especially I'll use an an example at the Eastgate buildings on the east side. The sponsor went under, the lender on it went under. The deals I was selling, the attorney general from the state of California had to sign the contracts because the insurance company that was the lender was absorbed by the state of California, which then owned all the debt. And agents kept telling me, you can't sell this to your clients. These are horrible buildings. Well, it was the best thing I ever sold my clients because as they were refinanced and sold, those apartments skyrocketed in value. Then we go to the uh, 1999 tech bubble. The party's over, quoted Barbara Corcoran. Well, six weeks later, prices were back up. Then we go to 9-11. Okay. Oh, no one's ever going to live in Manhattan. Within Definitely five, not downtown. Nobody will ever live downtown again. Within five days, uptown, we were showing again. Okay. Buyers were calling for appointments to see your exclusives. The downtown market boomed beyond belief after 9-11. And then we'll go to 2008, 2009, the end of Manhattan with the financial crisis. Well, it wasn't the end. Okay, it's. I don't think it's ever's the end in Manhattan. Yep. Everything one, rebounded. One of the very first postcards we sent post-pandemic. During, it, was, no, during, it was during the pandemic. It, it was about yeah. four or five months afterwards. Was a, a, it was about the Jerry Seinfeld that article. Was, New York City will never die. It's not it's, going anywhere. It's funny. One of the things I mentioned before, I grew up in Brooklyn. And one of the things I say all the time is I've lived through 
the death of New York City probably about 20 times. It's interesting. Last night I had dinner with a couple of agents downtown, and we were talking about when we were first able to go back to work during the pandemic. I think it was June or July. In June. June 22nd. Yeah, from March to June. And then when we went back, how so many of the office buildings, the ground floors were boarded up with plywood. I remember going through 445 Park through plywood doors to get into the building. That seems like a lifetime ago, and it was three years. But how New York changed. You can't get a reservation in a good restaurant right now. (laughs) Tourism is back. There still are a lot of vacant commercial stores. Interesting, on the Uber I took to come here from 575 Madison, Madison Avenue is full. That's all back. But I know in my neighborhood in Chelsea, it's not. You Lexington know, so, in the 70s is still struggling as well. What's yeah. funny is I used to live not far from where you live in Chelsea, and that stretch south of 23rd, north of 14th on 9th Avenue has been vacant long before COVID. They built all of those buildings, and they never got the retail spaces filled. So that is not a new problem, but it's exacerbated by everything else that's happening yes, right now. Yes, correct. Yep. Will New York survive? Of course it will. Of course it will. And so will real estate brokers, because it's the value the agent brings Anyone can look at a chart. Anyone can look at what's for sale in a building. But it's the agent that knows how to interpret the data, okay, which the public has a hard time with that time. The smart consumers make sure they have a smart agent because it takes both. The consumer sometimes knows much more than an agent of what's for sale, but the smart agent can interpret what's for sale as to where the value is. Well, that's been an evolution of the business. 15, 20 years ago, the agent was the only one that knew the inventory. And now the internet, Street Easy in particular, has made so much of the inventory available direct to the consumer. But knowing how to navigate the inventory, the market, the building, the applications, the negotiation process, all of those things, I think that's where we really add our value to the transaction. Well, Rich, thank you very much. We told you we'd keep it short and sweet. That you did. Well, we do have dinner. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks so much, Rachel.